Welcome back to the Nomi Podcast. We believe that knowing what to do starts with knowing who you are and who you want to be. In today's episode of Self-Discovery, we talk about one of the most important skill sets many of us have never learned to do, feeling our feelings. As a trained coach and licensed therapist, emotions and feelings play big roles in our work with clients and ourselves. What we discuss in this episode are some of the most common and important challenges that we see our clients bump up against. And mastering the art of feeling your feelings is one of the main ways we watch our clients thrive. Join us as we discuss our favorite tools and mindsets around the cornerstones of what make us human and how to make our emotions and feelings work for us, not against us. Let's dive in. Mom, do you know who Miss Rachel is? I'm sure I, you have to know who Miss Rachel is. Oh, gosh, yes, because I have a 16-month-old grandson, and he is the happiest, other than with his nana, when he is watching Miss Rachel. Yeah, so obviously we both know Miss <laughs> Rachel from the same source. Thank you, yep. Mason. Yep. But the reason I'm bringing her up is because I follow her on TikTok, and she's recently been putting out these really amazing videos where she takes a lot of her emotional self-regulation, thinking about our thoughts, processing the way we feel. And she's been turning that content into adult versions. So she yes. sings these little songs around like anxiety and overthinking and people have been going nuts for it. And I can totally understand why most of my clients and I have multiple conversations a week about how to process emotions. It's something we don't learn when we're little. So as adults, that content is so valuable to us because I find that it's only really now that we're starting to be more aware of how we should be teaching emotional processing. I would say that is one of the number one reasons all people come to counseling because Mental health is all about understanding and being able to utilize your feelings, your emotions, and so that they are helpful, not hurtful. From a psychological perspective, can you explain a little bit about the difference between emotions and feelings? Yeah, absolutely. So I was reading an article by Dr. Sarah McKay, a neuroscientist and the author of Your Brain Health blog, and she describes it this way, which I think is just beautiful. She said, emotions play out in the theater of the body and feelings play out in the theater of the mind. Meaning emotions like fear, hatred, and love trigger physical sensations in our body, and feelings represent the mental experience of our emotion, which our minds assign meaning. Embodiment is something that I think a lot of people who are meditators or are used to grounding exercises might be quite familiar with, but it's something that we don't often get a lot of exposure to growing up and into our adult lives. We're often pushing back tears or ignoring that knot in our stomach rather than identifying it and sitting with it and allowing it to pass through us. So I love her description because I think it really brings together the two pieces where we're only really taught one half, which is the cognition of the feeling, and we're not really taught the physical embodiment and acknowledgement of the emotion. And the physical embodiment is so important because our emotions are part of the human experience. Everyone mm -hmm. has them. 
because their basic job is to keep us safe, is for survival. So we don't want our emotions to go away because that's the other thing that happens is people will come in and they're like, you know what? Teach me how to not have any feelings is usually what they say, <laughs> right? But then they talk about their emotions, right? They're like, or they'll tell me like the classic is how can I be more like my husband who has no emotions? And I'm like, oh yeah, no, we all have them. It's the feeling that we attach to the brain, which is making it into sometimes a problematic thing, right? So if my thought is that going to that party is going to be embarrassing, then that's going to trigger that pit in my stomach that we talked about, which is anxiety. And it's going to maybe prevent me from going because of the meaning I put behind the pit in my stomach. Whereas if I just notice the pit in my stomach and I'm just like, oh, okay. And then we don't really think about it. We don't try to analyze it. We don't try to attach a meaning to it. We can just go, oh, okay. I should just see if it'll pass. A lot of times does. Yes. And this example is so crucial. I can give a direct tie to my own life last ah, week. Yeah, please do. Hi, Madeline here. I hope you're enjoying today's episode on emotions and feelings. It's one of our favorite things to talk about with our clients as they navigate their relationship to self. Speaking of self-discovery, if you're on a journey to know yourself more deeply, we'd love to invite you to our retreats at home. This seven-week program kicks off in April and is a weekly two-hour meetup with purpose-driven, curious, non-judgmental people like you. We use our time together to workshop tools and strategies for self-awareness and even invite specialists in other exciting areas of well-being to help us learn to thrive. You can find out more about our retreats at nomi.coach forward slash retreats or check the show notes. Spaces are filling up already, and we hope you'll be one of the people we get to know better while you get to know yourself. Now let's get back to the episode. For the past couple of weeks, I've had a recurring thing happen every single day where around 9.30 p.m., I start to get the evening blues, we'll call them. Hmm. So even if I was in the middle of a task or reading or I could actually just be sitting there, I started to feel this massive dip in my mood. Because I love talking to my husband about these things, sometimes I'd even go up to his office and I'd start talking to him because I'm a verbal processor around why this kept happening and what was going on and that it kind of made me feel a little hopeless because there's so many great things happening in my life. So how come I'm feeling sad every day? Something must be wrong. And I was doing exactly what you're talking about, which is assigning mm. unnecessary meaning to a feeling that could just be attributed and should have just been attributed to the fact that I was tired. It was 930. And with my cadence and my circadian rhythm recently, 930 was about when my brain and body started to go, okay, time to wind down for your day. Mm -hmm. But because mm -hmm. I allowed myself to stay in that cognitive space and did what I thought I do best, which is to be interested in what's going on, I ended up creating stories around these emotions mm -hmm. that weren't necessarily true because mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm trying to find something that's wrong in my life, even though mm -hmm. what's wrong in my life is that I need to go to bed. Absolutely. And I think that's a beautiful illustration of what happened with a lot of us. When we talk about an adult's guide to feeling our feelings, it's the first, I think the first step is understanding not only the difference between emotions and feelings, but just identification. I think we want to identify the six core 
that's what the mental health community has done research is that they've boiled down the plethora of emotions to six core. Sadness being one, which I just talked to you about. Happiness being another one. Fear being another one, anger being one, surprise and disgust. And you can see this in a wonderful film put out years ago called Inside Out. And it's a great way to learn about these six core emotions. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of our listeners have probably watched the film. The more adult version of this, expanding on those six core that I came across and you and I have spoken about multiple times wanting to do a book club on is Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. I agree that the first step, if you really want to start to understand your emotions better and understand the way you feel and process these things without reacting to them so much. First, it's learning about what they are, learning about their roles. And I say this to my clients all the time, fear comes up a lot in coaching. And I always try and say, what's fear trying to tell you? Because fear mm -hmm. is there for a purpose. It's trying to keep you safe. It's not trying to hurt you. In mm -hmm. fact, it's the opposite goal. Fear is not trying to take anything away from you. It's not trying to, it's not buddying up with sadness to make your life miserable and derail it. It's trying mm -hmm. to make sure you stay alive. And right. in our modern world, a lot of times that comes hand in hand with money. It comes hand in hand with our jobs. It comes hand in hand with our relationships because that's how we learn to stay safe is to have people around us, is to have a roof over our head, is to have security of income because we live in a world where money can acquire us things that we need. But what I see a lot with my clients is that they are able to recognize fear is there but they've conflated it with themselves. Mm. So it's not that they are feeling afraid. I usually have clients say, I am afraid. And this language is really particular. It speaks to the mental embodiment of the mm -hmm. emotion. And it can be so dangerous because... As we know, feelings and emotions can be changeable really quickly. So if one minute I am fear and the next minute I am sadness and the next minute I am joy, talk about sensory overload. What the heck am I going to do with all that? No, I'm not my emotions. I am feeling them. And so separating ourselves, not getting rid of them, but separating. I am me. I am mm. actually, my belief is I am my values. I am my character strengths. My emotions just help me stay in authentic self. And that is me staying in the driver's seat and having a whole bunch of really helpful and interesting emotions in the passenger seat, in the way, way back, in the middle seat or whatever. And this brings me back to the movie Inside Out. If anyone's seen it, if you haven't, basically these core emotions are seated at a panel in Riley's brain. And one of the things I will say that I don't know that they communicate so well is that the emotions shouldn't be at the panel forever. Mm -hmm. That when mm -hmm. we're young, they're very much at the panel because mm -hmm. we haven't quite developed the ability to sit in our core sense of self because our core sense of self is still developing. But eventually we come to a place as adults when the emotions are hopefully in the back seat, advising us on what to do at that panel. But our sense of self is at the panel itself is at command central. And a lot of times I find that when we aren't processing our emotions properly, 
What ends up happening is we're keeping those emotions at the panel. And so you're standing behind these emotions as they're bossing you around going, wait, but I don't want that. And so Mm -hmm. we need to move ourselves into the driver's seat or into command central, the captain of our own ship and shift those emotions, which are still so very helpful into more of an advising position rather than them being in the control seat themselves. Yes, absolutely. And when you talk about advising, it brings to mind a tool that I use, which is that the emotion is advising on action, maybe to have a proactive approach to something, communication, right? It's advising on a communication. And it also is advising or indicating a need. So for example, let's take anger. The need it might be indicating is that I need protection or I need to draw a boundary. And the communication that it's trying to tell me, right, by peeking over that back seat and going, hey, Cynthia, is that someone is take maybe taking advantage of me or something's not fair or something's unjust. And so my action would be maybe to be assertive, to draw that boundary. Anger gets a bum rap. And the reason I picked this is because it's not really telling you to attack, but sometimes it is. It's going, okay, the only way I see you to be able to protect yourself is to attack. That's your fight, flight, or freeze basic reactions. And so let's take a different one. Let's take love. So my need, being a human being, is to be in connection to be in a relationship, right? And and so the communication um, is that this person that I want to be connected with or be in a relationship with is worthy, is someone I want to stay close with. And then love, the action that it advises me on is care for this person or nurture this person or show them kindness. And so they're really wonderful partners. One of the main tools I give to my clients when I see this challenge with separating self from emotions is to literally visualize the emotion as separate to you, whether that's a version of yourself with that emotion or a completely different entity. And why this is so powerful is once we visualize the emotion as separate to us, we can go in with curiosity. When you're feeling the thing, that's not always the best time to go forth with curiosity. That's the best time to be present in the emotion and find a way that's helpful to you to feel that feeling, to process it, which we can talk about tools to do that momentarily. And then once you've processed it, you can go forward in full presence with curiosity, asking that emotion, what do you want from me? Oh, anger. I see you've popped up here. Mm. Usually you're popping up when you feel like someone's encroaching on my values, my sense of self, that I'm, I need to be protected. So give me a little insight here. What's going on? We can cognitively separate ourselves from that entity and then actually go forward with authentic curiosity rather than our overanalyzing brain. Because the overanalyzing brain, when we don't separate ourselves, tends to drive us all over the place. So when I was feeling those late night blues and I was in overanalyzing mode, it's because sadness was in the driver's seat. But it wasn't until I could process that feeling first, separate myself from that feeling, and then go forward and curiosity that I was able to get to the real root of it rather than a falsified meaning that I put on so that I could answer the why that my hyper-rational brain really needed me to get to. And don't get me wrong, engaging our brain at certain times is really helpful because there's nothing physically that's going to happen in my body without my brain telling my body how to operate. And so it's really important. But knowing and being discerning about what is needed at what time is 
riding the wave of the emotion. A lot of times I'll say to my clients, don't be afraid to ride the wave first. Emotions have a beginning, a middle of an end. And think about body surfing at the beach. You catch the wave. There's a time where it's, oh, I'm here I go. I'm going to catch the wave and, oh, maybe it's a little rocky away, but I end up back on the beach, which is a safe place. So it's okay to ride the wave. And then sometimes I just need to identify it. There's a great tool. It's an emotions wheel or a feelings wheel where we can actually put language to that feeling. And then we can say, oh, okay, I'm putting this word sadness to my experience, to my physical sensation. And what do I need? I need to go to bed. That's what Mm -hmm. I need. Or I need, maybe you got different information that you were sad because you had lost something or you had a disturbing conversation with someone and you could say, okay, what I need is to have a voice or set the record straight or whatever. And when we meet our needs and they can be ever changing, there can be different needs for the same emotion. Once we meet that need, it's like coming to the beach. Then sadness goes later Mm -hmm. till the next time. That was a a great framework for recognizing and labeling and being curious. But I think something that's missing so far is how to process emotions. And if Mm. we just take these six core emotions, how you want to safely and in a healthy way process those emotions can look really different to different people. And anger is a really great representation of this. It's never just been a single tear trickling down my face. I actually want to throw things. And sometimes I do because there is a healthy way to process our different core emotions, which can be screaming into pillows or doing non-destructive things or a healthy destruction to, to move the emotion out of our body. And this is something that is really powerful with emotion is the idea of embodiment and movement. Once you acknowledge how these core emotions show up in your body is to start to be curious and explore the best ways to process them. Because when we talk about sitting with the emotion, that can have different effects on our bodies. And how you ride that wave, that beautiful metaphor, can largely be dependent on how you consciously learn to surf. So when a certain wave comes up, let's say that wave is sadness, you might learn to cut at a specific angle. I know nothing about surfing. Versus when anger comes up and it's more tsunami-like, you may know to get off your surfboard and go Mm -hmm. back into shore until it's Mm -hmm. safe to go back out to sea. A lot of times it's about creating the safe spaces for ourselves to process emotions and also verbally acknowledging when we are facing those emotions, especially when emotions are showing up when we're in conversations with others or when experiences with others. It can be really powerful to just give you and your emotions the space to process before you try and multitask. Oftentimes, it gets to a point of multitasking where you're trying to respond to the person, respond to the situation, And you're also trying internally to work through and process this emotion or suppress it. So a lot of times it's important to know our processing capabilities and our processing rhythms because then it gives us the opportunity to say, hey, I'm actually feeling a little bit of frustration and anger coming up here and I need to walk away from this for a couple of minutes so that I can be with that emotion and then come back to you with more of a present headspace. So sometimes when we talk about not letting emotions in the driver's seat, we make it seem as though they should never be in the driver's seat. Sometimes they get into the, that side of the car without our consent. And it's just about before you start the car saying, nope, get out. 
walking mm-hmm. them around to the passenger seat, getting them in there, and then mm-hmm. starting the car with you in the driver's seat. So I just wanted to point that out because I think it's really important not only to label and question the needs, but also to get into our personal rhythms of processing these emotions. And identifying at the get-go, if you notice that your emotion is in the driver's seat, they popped in, then all hands are on deck that you've got to do your work first. A lot of times we're in a particular experience and our emotions are going, ooh, ooh, I got some information really important for you to know. And we tend to want to ignore it or push it aside or not even take it along with us. So that's when emotions go, oh, I better hop in the driver's seat because she's going to be in danger. And so really not only knowing for ourselves and taking that needed break, like you were saying, to go process, to go, oh, okay, anger, what's the 411? What's the information you're trying to get to me so that I can go back to my experience knowing I'm bringing my knowledgeable, authentic self to this conversation, to this experience or whatever, and vice versa. A lot of times when I'm doing couples counseling, I'm like, oh, hello, jealousy. We'd like to have Lulabelle in the room. So Lulabelle, what do you need to do in order to have jealousy sit over here next to me? And oh, resentment. Hey, Fred, what do you need to do to get resentment to come sit next to me? And so now I'm going to invite Fred and Lulabelle. Let's have a conversation. I really appreciate this example because earlier we spoke about how the person who should be at Command Central or in the driver's seat is authentic self. And what's difficult, I think, about emotional regulation and processing is that we're constantly in a process of identifying and growing and building our authentic self. And so this is a big part of emotional processing that I think is very important, which is In addition to identifying and labeling and understanding your somatic system (laughs) and understanding Mm -hmm. what's going on, there's also this other piece of the puzzle, which is growing your sense of self so that when you do run into these situations, you know who you're showing up as and it's not just another emotion. So you Mm -hmm. have to really figure out who is that authentic core self. It reminds me of what I say a lot of times to my clients, which is feelings are informational, not directional meaning that it's okay to get information from them. But what we don't want to do is use them as direction. We don't want them to direct the conversation with our loved one. We don't want them to direct any of our actions, any of our doing activities. We want our core self to be the director. And I think, you know, how that looks is that if I let anger direct me, then I might say something hurtful to someone in a conversation. But if I get in touch with my core self, like you were talking about, my values, my strengths, one of my biggest values is I'm kind. And so I'm going to take a beat to figure out how to say what I need to say, not in a hurtful way, but in a helpful way. What's coming up while you're talking to this is the word awareness. So awareness of our authentic self, our core self, awareness of the emotions, awareness of the information. Mm, And mm -hmm. awareness is knowing the players. Oftentimes with emotions, with our core sense of self, it's not about the attaching the meaning. It's about knowing the players. It's about knowing that when we're walking into certain situations or when events are happening, what's going on? Acknowledging, oh, 
in my stadium, in my internal stadium, I see fear. I see anxiety. I see a little bit of excitement, actually. Mm-hmm. I see also, ooh, some of my strengths and values are showing up. I see kindness and curiosity. And you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave the emotions on the bleachers, but I'm going to invite the values and strengths Mm -hmm. to come stand with me at the mic or come stand with me on Mm -hmm. the field. And Mm -hmm. those are going to be the players I bring into the game. And I think this is What's so awesome about self-awareness is the first stage of it is knowing your players. Mm -hmm. And then it's about conscious choice of who you bring in the game. Really, really important to know the roles, different parts of us, or be aware of them. And emotions play a big one. They really do. They play a big one because if we don't utilize them and we try to put them in a different role, then they become problematic. Absolutely true. So we've covered a lot of ground and I just want to bring up A couple of the points once again, because I know there was a lot in here. So we talked about how we have six core emotions. We kind of went through a couple of different frameworks on how to both process emotions, acknowledge and be curious about emotions, and to build larger sense of self-awareness around emotions, values, and strengths. And then we talked about sitting with and processing emotions. So whether that's as you start to identify more anger cropping up or more sadness cropping up, creating systems that help you to process these things and move through them so that you can find the information without letting them overtake your actions and decision making. And the most important thing we spoke about was letting and keeping authentic self in command central and in the driver's seat. And so one of the steps is is also building your sense of what is core self? What are these values and strengths we want to tap into? And knowing who the players are so that we can decide who's going to be in the game with us while letting the coaches do their thing as well. Thank you, Madeline. I really appreciate that insight and that wrap up. It really helps to just put it in a nice adult's guide to feeling our feelings, which leads me, I've got two quotes today and that's how I'll sum it up. One is from John Kabat-Zinn. You can't stop the waves from coming, but you can learn how to surf. Nice. And the second one that I couldn't resist sharing was by Andre Lord. Our feelings are our most genuine path to knowledge. Oh, I love that one. I know we're no Miss Rachel, but I hope that you found some value in our Adult's Guide to Feeling Your Feelings. If you are a member on Patreon, you can also get some extra content on the topic. And of course, if there's something you want us to explore in a future episode, you can request a topic at any time at nomi.coach forward slash podcast. Thank you for being with us. And we hope that you can feel your feelings a little bit better this week. Until next time. Be well. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope our conversation provides some insight and practical ways to navigate and understand you. If you have found our show to be helpful, please pass it along. Madeline and I are hoping you will join us in creating a ripple effect of mental health and well-being. As always, thanks for listening to the Nomi Podcast. This is Cynthia and Madeline asking you to be good to you.